Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist TJ Malkanji. Uh, so we have a lot to cover today. We're going to be talking about spiritual warfare, how to win uh, spiritual warfare. And I've got six very clear, very distinct keys that are going to greatly assist you in life in not gaining victory over the enemy because you already got the victory, but enforcing that victory over your enemy. And I'll go through briefly just for the just to give you a little bit of a, a nutshell of what we're going to address, what those six keys are. We're going to talk about the origins of our authority and our dominion. We're going to talk about understanding our opponent, the devil, because if you go to war against an opponent you don't know or you're not aware of, it's not going to do you much good. Number three, we're going to talk about recognizing the strategies of the enemy. Number four, we're going to talk about redemption and how it's repositioned us in Christ Jesus to be above Satan and his forces. Number five, we're going to talk about the weapons of our warfare that are at our disposal. And finally, we're going to close off with how to actually practically exercise that authority in life. Hallelujah. Because it's one thing to know you have authority. It's one thing to know how to uh, wage warfare. It's a, quite another thing to actually exercise that authority in life. And so I'm going to make this as practical like we do all our broadcasts. Make them as practical as practical can be so that you don't just leave here feeling good, but you actually have a, a step of action. You have a, a thing to do now, something you can implement today. You can actually become a devil master from this broadcast overnight. Very simple. I'm going to show you how. Hello, Holland. Uh, am I Michigan? I'm going to go with Michigan. Hello, uh, Christy, out in Kentucky. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Two hours south of Meadow Lake. All right, so about middle of Saskatoon, Meadow Lake, which, by the way, I'm in studio today with three of the finest in Montreal. We've got Angel, we have Raf, and we have uh, Evangelist Raf and Evangelist Gabriel Guerra in studio with us, which is awesome. Gabriel was with me in Saskatoon last time where he attempted to do a backflip, not once, but twice, and on the second time, concussed himself for several days and felt the perils of nausea while he was panning my cameras in our meetings. But we forgave him, and he's better now. His head's back on. If you have a, sec if you have a second just to help me share this broadcast, you're going to do me such a great help. If you'll click that share button on Facebook, it's so easy. Hit the share button. Click the like button. Let's get this word out to, most to as many people as possible. On Facebook, that's how you do it. On YouTube, it's even more simple. Hit the like button. Hit. Smash it. Smash that like button and uh, comment. Comment, comment as much as you can. If something strikes and resonates in your spirit, comment, amen, comment, hallelujah, comment, fire emojis, comment, whatever you got to comment. If you don't like my preaching, put a thumbs down emoji, whatever it is, just comment as much as you can. Let's get this word out to as many people as possible. I've got such uh, joy in my spirit today as I bring you this word, and so I know it's going to be powerful. Uh, Evangelist Nick Zenner out in uh, Allentown, Pennsylvania. Welcome, my friend. It was awesome. I already got my first thumbs down. Thank you, Evangelist Nick. Uh, going to go cry in a corner now. All right, let's get in it. How to win spiritual warfare. How you can win spiritual warfare. Before I get into anything, I want to read a story out of Mark chapter 4 just to show us uh, an illustration of what spiritual warfare is 
and how Jesus conducted spiritual warfare. And then we're going to move into the six keys on how or the six secrets we see in the life of Jesus and the apostles that we can implement today to get the same results. Let me make this very clear to you. God did not create you in the first place when he created Adam and Eve to lose, to be in defeat, to be in failure, or to be subject to the enemy and his tactics. And certainly when we were born again, God did not recreate us in Christ Jesus to lose and to be at the mercy of the devil. Rather, he rebirthed us in Christ Jesus. We are born again. John 3 says, born from above and therefore we are above all. You were born again to win. I want you to, the onset of this broadcast, write that in the comment section. Alex, Esther, Nick, Debbie, Israel, Raph, let's write it out in the comment section. I was born again to win. I was born again to win. Or you can, you can uh, make that even smaller by saying born again to win. Born again to win. We see this in Mark chapter 4. I'm going to read a very brief story, and then we'll get into the six keys. But in verse 1, the Bible begins by saying, And again, Jesus began to teach by the sea. And a great multitude was gathered to him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Matter of fact, I started at the wrong place. It's verse 35. Verse 35, on the same day where he had just taught his parable of the sower, on the same day when evening had come, he said to the disciples, let us cross over to the other side. Verse 36, now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And after a little, um, after a little while, other little boats came with him also. And a great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already feeling, uh, filling. If you study the Greek here, a great windstorm arose. The actual Greek alludes to this sudden, random, out of nowhere storm that filled the sky. So another way to say it is picture a beautiful, blue, clear, no clouds in sight type of sky. Perfectly still waters. It seemed like optimal conditions to leave one side of the sea to get to the other side of that sea. And as they're in the middle of that sea, out of nowhere, there suddenly appears black skies, tempestuous clouds that appear and form themselves, and a massive Euroclidon, like a northeaster we know of in the States, a northeaster just appears out of nowhere, and suddenly the biggest storm that even Peter and John, who had lived their entire lives on the sea, they experienced the greatest storm they had ever seen in their entire lives of being on the sea. And so here's what happens. Verse 38 says, Jesus was in the stern and he was asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? So I brought up all the description of that storm to show you something. This storm was not a natural storm. This storm put great fear into expert fishermen so that they woke up Jesus. Jesus wasn't a professional fisherman. So for them to have awakened Jesus, it showed that they had done everything they knew how to do to set the sail, to get the sail in, in, in the proper direction so the wind can like not break the, bo the boat down. They did everything with buckets to try and empty the water that was filling the boat. They, they did everything they know to do. The fact that they, awake, they um, awakened Jesus 
it shows us that they understood that this thing was not a natural thing. The way the Bible describes the storm to be proves that the storm was not a natural storm. It was a supernaturally, demonically driven and inspired storm that had one objective, and that was to destroy the disciples, kill Jesus ahead of his time that he was supposed to die at that cross to prevent him from gaining redemption for mankind. And so they awaken Jesus and they say, don't you care that we are perishing? I always thought that was funny because he literally came for one reason and that was to save them from perishing. John 3.16, God so loved the world. He gave his only son that whosoever believes on him would not perish but have everlasting life. So the fact Jesus came was proof that he didn't want them to perish. But isn't it funny that in the moments where it seems like everything's going off, everything's going haywire, everything's going downward quickly in a downward spiral, that's precisely the moment when people who are not in the spirit, but in the carnal, in the flesh, begin to question God's motives, begin to question God's goodness, begin to question whether God is on their side or not. Let me make a statement as bold, as clear, and as strong as I can make it, there is never a time in your life where God is not on your side if you're living a righteous life. Let me make, let me make that statement again. If you are living a righteous life, you're living holy, you're in Christ, there is never a time where God is opposed to you, set against you, or is the antagonist in your life story. The Bible makes it amply clear in Romans chapter 8 and verse 31 that God is for us. The Bible makes it clear in the Old Testament when Elijah went, Elisha went out in the morning when his servant had reported that the armies of uh, the king of Assyria had encamped around the house of Elisha and the servant of Elisha got very scared and he reported to Elisha, we're dead man, God's abandoned us, God's, he's left the ship, we're, we're on our own now. What are we going to do? Alas, my master, we are doomed. Elisha confidently assured the servant by saying, Lord, open his eyes that he might see what I see. And when the servant of the man of God's eyes were open, what did he see? He didn't see them alone. He didn't see them alone in the boat. He didn't see them uh, destined or doomed for destruction. He didn't see the armies of heaven on their enemy's sides because that's how sometimes people feel like it is, that God has somehow switched sides and now he's against us. He's siding with the devil for our own destruction. What did a man of God's servant see? He saw the angels of the Lord. Hallelujah. He saw the chariots of fire camped around Elisha round about to wage war against the enemies of Elisha. And I want to make this clear to you today. I don't know where you're watching from. I don't know what the devil's tried to do to you. I don't know what storm you're in today. But I want to reassure to you that God is on your side. The Lord is fighting your battles. God is with you today. And if the Lord is with you and for you and in you, then who, what weapon can be formed against you to prosper? Who can come against you and destroy you? Who can take out a child of God? I prophesy in Jesus' name, every tongue that's risen up against you, God's going to strike it down today. As you engage these six principles of spiritual warfare, you're going to win the battle. You're going to come over to the other side. You're going to leave this battle ring, this arena that the enemy's trying to take you out in with the champion's belt. Hallelujah. Shout hallelujah if you're in the comment section, write amen. 
uh, if you agree with what I'm saying right now. Uh, Mark chapter 4, let's finish the story. Verse 39, Jesus arose and he rebuked the wind. Now you don't rebuke things. You don't rebuke objects. I don't go around rebuking my... <laughs> I don't go around contrary to somehow people... Uh, to some people's spiritual warfare tactics, I don't rebuke lights, I don't rebuke walls, I don't rebuke inanimate objects that have no personality. Jesus certainly was not rebuking nature in itself. He was rebuking the very thing that was behind. Nature was created by God. Nature is not anti-God. The Bible says God rules the storms and the raging seas. So when Jesus rebuked, he wasn't rebuking nature, he was rebuking the very personality or entity that was behind the storm, which was the devil. And we're going to get into our adversary and we're going to bring you into an understanding of who he is, where he's come from, and how you can gain practical victory over him. Peace be still is what he said. In the Aramaic, shut up and be quiet and be still. Shut up is what he said to the storm. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be? Even winds and seas obey his command. Hallelujah. So here we see a perfect story of Jesus conducting spiritual warfare. Now, make, I'm going to make this clear to you. I believe in spiritual warfare. I believe that we have an adversary that prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I believe that life is not funfair. Life is warfare. And if you are not equipped, you're going to suffer at the hands of the enemy. But if you are thoroughly equipped, mark my words, you are going to pick up deadly serpents as if they're a non-issue. The devil is going to be an object of no concern to you when you're supernaturally equipped. That's what this broadcast is for. It's to take you out of the company of believers that are constantly fearing the devil, fearing his tactics, fearing his vices, and bring you into the company of more than conquerors like, G uh, like the Apostle Paul said. We are not ignorant of the devil's tactics, his strengths, his weaknesses, lest we should be taken advantage of by him. You should not be taken advantage of by the devil. You should not be the devil's playground. You should not be the devil's project where he can just come in and out like a rushing wind and do whatever he wants and you just have to suffer it all. But one day, one day in the sweet by and by, it's going to be worth it. No, I'm going to show you how the dominion that God has handed us as believers is not for heaven alone. Although we will rule with Christ as kings and priests in heaven. We're going to have a dominion. We're going to have, we're going to share in Christ's dominion. We're going to share in Christ's glory, the Bible says. But I'm going to show you how the dominion of God and the victory of the cross, the triumph of the cross can be enjoyed now. Hallelujah. Turn with me to uh, Genesis chapter one. And we're going to get into point number one. And the six most important things that you need to know about spiritual warfare. Six steps to winning spiritual warfare today. Number one, understanding the origins of dominion. Understanding the origins of dominion. Now, when God created man, he did not create man as a uh, sub-beast being. As in, we were the bottom of the food chain. When God created man, he created us at the top of the food chain. I'm going to prove that. Genesis chapter 1, 
and verse 26. And God said, that's very important if you have your Bibles highlight, and God said, because this shows us that the dominion that we enjoy is not angelically bestowed. It's not given to us because we earned it or we decided to just have it. This is something that's been God-given. God said you can have what we're about to read. God said. And if God said it, I believe it, that settles it. And it doesn't matter what the devil has to say about it. God said what? Let us make man in our image. You were created in the very image of God. That gives you a little hint or indication as to why the devil hates you so much. You look like God. You smell like God. You have, you have certain characteristics that remind the devil of God. Especially when you get born again, the Bible says we put off the old man when, which grows deceitly, uh, deceitfully corrupt according to its lust. We've been renewed by the Spirit and now we've put on the new man, which the Scripture says in Ephesians 4, the new man which is like God. Hallelujah. That's why when Adam sinned, that likeness of God died. But when Christ regenerated us by the Holy Spirit, when we were born again, that Jesus-like, God-like divinity, deity nature in us that had died through sin was born again in Christ. So that the thing that, that looks like God, the nature of God, is all over us now. It's all over us. That's why the devil can't stand you. Because everything he tried to get, Isaiah 14, I want to ascend beyond the clouds and I want to sit on the throne of God like God. I want to be like God. That's what the devil's, uh, that's what his um, ambition was. But the scripture says he was cast out of heaven for having those ambitions and everything the devil tried to attain, God in the Garden of Eden handed it to us for free. Hallelujah. That's why he hates you. Let us make man in our image. According to our likeness, let man have dominion. Let them have dominion. Over what? Over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth. Hallelujah. That means if something is on the earth, which remember, where does the devil operate? The Bible says when uh, he came before God in the book of Job, God asked him, where have you been? He said, I'm running to and fro on the earth. The devil operates on the earth. Yes, he's the prince of the power of the air in the heavenlies, the second heavenlies. But the Bible makes it very clear that his battleground or where he affects or brings to pass his strategies and vices and objectives is on the earth. But the Bible says God in creation gave us dominion over all the earth. Over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. Verse 28, then God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Subdue it. Have dominion. There it is again. Over the fish of the sea. Over the birds of the air. Over every living thing that moves on the earth. Hallelujah. So you see that this dominion that we get to enjoy is not a man-made 
or concede in the heart of man level of dominion. It is a dominion that God himself in creation, when he created the world, which he said is very good, his perfect order on planet earth, is that man not only occupies, but man carries supreme authority over the things that transpire on planet earth. Remember in Psalm 115 verse 3, the Bible says, the heavens, even the highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to who? To the children of men. God gave the earth to the children of men. God gave this green and blue planet for man to enjoy its resources, for man to uh, replenish it, to fill it, and to enjoy everything, uh, life's pleasures, life's simple pleasures. Through sin, man fell, fell from that place of authority. We were dethroned, and Satan was enthroned. That's why the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, which leads me to number two. Number one step that you need to understand to win spiritual warfare is understand the origins of our dominion. We just read that from the beginning. From the beginning. And remember, Jesus came to restore the glory of Eden. Jesus himself told the Pharisees, from the beginning it was not so, when the Pharisees were saying, yes, but, you know, they started to talk about marriage. Moses permitted a certificate of divorce. And he said, that's the result of the fall of man. That's the harness and stubbornness of man. That's why those things are happening. That's why men and women get divorced. But he says, from the beginning it was not so. And Jesus came to restore that which was from the beginning. Part of it is our dominion. And Psalm, uh, Psalm 8 says, when God created man, he said, he made us a little lower than Elohim. A lot of Bible translations say a little lower than the angels, but the proper translation should say Elohim, which is God. He made us a little lower than God himself. God made man a little lower than himself. The angels aren't made in the image of God, and so they can't claim to be over us. Though they are mighty in power and excellent in power, they were not made in the image of God. They do not have the blessing even when they fell. When, when, when angels fell by transgression and one-third of the angels sided with the devil, God didn't make a plan to redeem them. God didn't make a plan to send his son for them. That's why the devil extra hates you. Not only were you created in his image, when you forfeited that privilege and divine right and were marred by sin, what God did not do for Satan nor his demons, God did for you and I in that he redeemed us and restored us into his likeness. Hallelujah. So the Bible says in Psalm 8, we were made a little lower than Elohim, than God himself. And he crowned us with great glory, power, and strength. And he made all things subject unto our feet. And the Bible says in Psalm 8, he gave us dominion over the works of his hands. In Romans chapter 5, Paul says that through sin, death enter all men. And death spread through sin, for all men sinned. But through the one man, Jesus Christ's obedience... Have we broken or separated from the nature and consequence and penalties of sin? And have we now assumed or received rather the gift of righteousness, an abundance of grace? And Romans 5.17 says, and have now become those who reign in life by Christ Jesus. So the origins of our dominion is found in Genesis 1. When man fell in Genesis 3, a promise was made that though the devil has harmed, hurt, bruised man's foot or heel, one would come from the seed of Adam and Eve who would crush the devil's head and reverse the toll that sin and Satan had done on the human race. That's what we receive in Christ. So not only did we originate 
with dominion, but when Christ regenerated us, we reassumed that place of dominion. The Bible says, and I was about to quote in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, leading to number, uh, point number 2, is we need to understand our opponent, the devil. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, that the God of this age, the devil, blinds the minds of them who do not believe, lest they should see the glorious light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the image of God. So the Bible says that God is not the God of this age. Oh, I'm not watching this broadcast. X out. That's blasphemy. I didn't say it. The Bible says it. Let's go and I'm going to read it to you straight from it. So you don't think I'm blaspheming. This is straight from the Apostle Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. Or let's start with verse 3. But even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So the Bible gives the devil many titles. He gives, a, uh, the devil has the title of deceiver, Revelation chapter 12. He is the deceiver of all the earth. The Bible gives the devil the title of a serpent or a dragon of old. The Bible gives the devil the title of a father of lies, the originator of all lies. The Bible gives the devil the title of the accuser of the brethren. The Bible gives the devil the title of adversary or satanias in the Greek, the adversary, the one who is constantly opposed to the things of God. But in here, 2 Corinthians 4.4, the Bible gives the title God of this age to the devil. Now, that does not mean the devil's in control of everything on planet earth and what he says goes. No. Age is ageon, and what the Bible is alluding to is that when Satan, by sin, infiltrated humanity, he assumed a position of authority over the unredeemed, unregenerate human race. When you come to Christ, Colossians 1 and verse 12 says, we have transferred out of that domain of darkness and we've come into the domain of light, God's kingdom under the rulership of his dear son, Jesus Christ. The Bible says we've been turned from the power of Satan unto the power of God. However, any soul of man who is not redeemed, who's not come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, remains under the regime or reign of terror of the devil. He remains the God over them. Where can we read this? Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. The Bible says in verse 1, And you he made alive. But then Paul goes on to talk about our state before he made us alive. Who were dead in trespasses and in sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Remember, Jesus himself said that not everyone's a child of God. He turned in John 8 to the Pharisees and he said, you are of your father the devil. 
In 1 John chapter 3, the Bible says, John says, that there are people who are of God, and then there are those who are of the devil. And by this, you know those who are of the devil. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is of the devil. So the scripture distinguishes two camps. There's essentially two types of people on planet earth. There are people who belong to God, and then there are people who belong to the devil. Until get, they get redeemed and until they believe and until they're born again, they continue to belong to the devil, subject to the God of this age, under the prince of the power of the air, and under the control of a spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also all conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, just as the rest. But the scripture moves on to say, but God, hallelujah. I love the butts of the Bible. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us with, he made us alive even when we were dead in sins and trespasses, and we'll get to that after. The Bible gives the devil many titles. And that title that we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4 is the God of this age. So he has a level of control over people who don't belong to God and that's why he can manipulate certain things in politics. He can manipulate certain things in Hollywood. There are people in Hollywood who openly confess to Satanism. There are people in politics. There's a bunch of stuff. I have a friend who was part of the United Nations. Uh, she was a, a pro-life advocate within the United Nations uh, consulate or whatever. She was a, uh, an activist for pro-life, trying to thwart the UN towards pro-life policy. And she went to the United Nations building in New York City and went down to the bottom into a place where they don't let everyone go. You have to have UN clearance. And when she got there, there was an altar erected to a foreign god. Now, I'm not going to get into what they did there because it's a little gory, but they, there was blatant demon god worship at the new United Nations headquarters in New York City. So don't think that this is not going on. There are people who are under the spirit of disobedience, controlled against their will, not against their will, but against their knowledge, perhaps. That's why the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 2 that we should in humility preach the gospel to these people if God will grant them perhaps repentance so that they may come to their senses. Some people don't even know that they're under the control of a spirit of demons. They have to come to their senses to know that. And in coming to their senses, they actually are liberated from the snares of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. To do his will. So understanding our, our opponent, the devil. He's the God of this age. What else does the Bible say about him? Well, let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. If this is helping you, and you just tuned in right now, Jolene, uh, Debbie, welcome Israel, welcome Janine, uh, welcome John. Well, John's been on this whole time, and maybe you have too, but I'm just seeing your names now. Welcome all. If you'll give me a, a little boost and help share this broadcast on Facebook and on YouTube, hit the like button and comment, comment, comment as much as you can. Uh, help get this word out to most uh, as many people as possible, because I really believe this is going to help a lot of people in bringing clarity to spiritual warfare. Because let me tell you something, there's a lot of freaking weird stuff going on in Christendom, and they label it as spiritual warfare. There's a lot of stuff that is not scriptural that they label as spiritual warfare. And it's keeping people in more bondage than anything else. Let me make this clear to you. If you are a Christian, 
To be spiritually bound shows that you've not tapped into the fullness of what God wants for you. Let me make this, let me phrase this a little different. If you are spiritually bound, you are not living the full Christian life. If you are spiritually bound, this broadcast is for you. Because if you're spiritually bound, there is an area of a lack of knowledge that you need to be filled in on so you can come out of the bondage of the enemy. Jesus himself said, you will know the truth and the truth will what? Set you free. So if you're bound in an area, it shows that there is a truth you've not come to know or maybe have not come to apply in your life. The Bible also says that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so if you're spiritually bound, it must be that there's a certain place in your life, an area of your life where you've not yielded yourself fully to the Holy Ghost. To this broadcast today, I know it's not Sunday morning, but do you want to know the good news? God doesn't need to wait for Sunday morning to set you free. God doesn't need to wait till Sunday morning to help you. God doesn't need to wait till Sunday morning to bring you into a place of victory. Sunday morning should just be the place where we gather together and testify of the goodness of the Lord. But let me make this clear to you. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, every day is God's day. The day you decide to believe becomes your day. Today is going to be your day. Just like God, Jesus told Zacchaeus, today I'm coming to your house. Come down from that tree. I'm calling you down from that tree. Come down from that tree. Come into the blessing of God. All right, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under, your, under the mighty hand of God, that in due time he may exalt you. See what God's plan is for your life? To exalt you. He wants to lift you up. Cast your care upon him. He cares for you. You're not some object of junk and garbage to God. He cares for you. I want you to write that in the comment section. God cares for me. Hallelujah. God cares for me. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your enemy, the adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Like I always love to say, he is like a roaring lion, but he's actually just a mouse with a microphone. He's got a big talk, but he's got no bite. Big bark, no bite. Big bark, no bite. Like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, which shows you that he can't devour just anybody. He seeks whom he may devour. Who's giving him legal access to devour? Who's giving him a place in their life so he can come in and devour? Not you. Hallelujah. Not today, devil. Seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, verse 9, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. So the Bible talks about the devil as an adversary, like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. But the scripture says we can resist him. We can resist him. Why can we resist him? Luke chapter 10. Why can we resist the devil? This is all under the subheading of who our spiritual opponent is. That we have a real devil in life. Because there's a lot, there's a whole group of uh, Christianity that they don't even talk about the devil. They don't talk about spiritual warfare, warfare. They don't talk about demons. They don't talk about the powers of the unseen realm. And so people are fighting a battle against who knows what. They're beating the air. They're boxing the air. They're running in with uncertainty. They don't know what they're doing. They're just hoping things are going to come to pass. They don't bring up the reality of a devil. But the Bible makes it very clear. Jesus taught about the devil. A thief comes not but to steal, kill, and destroy. He's a thief. He's a killer. And he's a destroyer. But I've come to give you life more abundantly. Paul talked about the, the devil. 
The Bible says that uh, we are not to give a foothold to the devil, Ephesians 4.27. Peter, as we just read, talked about the devil. Isaiah the prophet talked about the devil's fall. Ezekiel the prophet in 28, chapter 28, talks about the devil. Genesis chapter 3, God spoke to the serpent and acknowledged that there really was a real... He didn't say, oh no, Eve, you know, you were just having a, para, uh, what do you call it, a schizophrenic trip. There was actually no serpent there. You didn't see anything. No, life is all natural. No, life is not natural, brother. Life is first spiritual, and whatever goes on in the spiritual realm is what overflows into the natural realm. That's why victory doesn't start here and then come into here. Victory starts here. You got to get that victory spirit in yourself and understand the victory that the cross has given us. Revelation 12 says the devil's been booted out of heaven. There's no place found for him in heaven. And then the scripture says in verse 11 that God has caused us to overcome him through the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. So you see the victory stems, that what you're going to see out here stems first with what your spiritual understanding uh, is of things that have already tra transpired in the spiritual realm. So Luke chapter 10. We just quoted it in Revelation 12. But look at Luke chapter 10. Jesus says, Jesus says in verse 17, The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Revelation 12 uh, is the historical account of that, where scripture says that, Satan was kicked out of heaven, and there was no place found for him in heaven, and he was cast down to the earth forever. There's no, he has no legal right to come before God any longer. He's been kicked out of heaven. Jesus says, I was there. Hallelujah. I was there when I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Verse 19, behold, I give you. Who's you? That's me. Those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life, I give you the authority over to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. So, Scripture acknowledged that there's a real devil. Point one, we understood the origins of our dominion. Point two, understanding our opponent, the devil, not just that he's a created being, not just that he's a fallen angel, but... The fact that Christ already dealt with him. Colossians chapter 2 says, Jesus disarmed principalities and powers, made a public show of the devil openly, having triumphed over him at the cross. See, a lot of what is going on now in deliverance circles and YouTube and all that stuff, a lot, I'm seeing it all the time, is a lot of talk about demons, a lot of talk about spirits. If your spiritual warfare is demon-centric, and not Christocentric, it is wrong. If your spiritual warfare is focused and centered in on demon power and what the devil can do, and not what God can do, and what God has done about the devil, then your spiritual warfare, or your understanding rather, of spiritual warfare is off. The Bible does teach spiritual warfare, but always from the position of victory. When we talk about the devil and bring him up, it is not to glorify, it is not to venerate him, it is not to put him on some pedestal. Anytime the Bible talks about the devil, it is always in relation to his defeat. It's always in relation to his humiliation. 
It's always in relation to his destruction. The Bible never says anything good about the devil. The Bible never says, you know, sometimes he gets some, sometimes he wins battles, sometimes he doesn't. We just got to make do, you know, and hope that today's not the day he wins. No, anytime. Matter of fact, the entire scripture is literally a documentation of the devil rising up against the people of God and then God by his spirit bringing that plan to nothing. You see it in Esther's day. Haman, steered up by the devil to come up against the Jews and produce a genocide, eradicate, annihilate the Jewish race from planet earth, which you see that same spirit is still on the earth today with what we're seeing in modern days, this vitriol against Jews calling on Harvard campus and uh, Princeton campuses and other major Ivy League school campuses calling for the genocide of Jews and the, old, the people that are in responsible for the conduct of behavior and civil rest in the campus student life are not even condemning it. They're not condemning it. That same Haman spirit to kill Jews is still alive today. Well, what happened when Haman rose up against the Jews in his day? The very weapon that was set to put every Jewish head in and take every Jewish head off, that same weapon was used against Haman. Whatever the devil builds, it will be used against him. Goliath's sword was destined to kill David that day. Instead, it took his own head off. So, Anytime the Bible talks about spiritual warfare, it is always in relation to, yes, the devil is real and he comes in like a flood. But when it happens, God always raises up a standard to defeat and to humiliate the devil in any generation that he would try to usurp the people of God. So we understand our opponent. Now let's move to chapter, uh, point number three. We recognize the strategy of the devil. What has always been the strategy of the devil? John chapter 8. John chapter 8 and verse 44. John chapter 8, 44. Jesus speaking of the devil and essentially exposing his strategy. You are of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do. Now, how does he get those desires done? How does he accomplish his desires? He was a murderer from the beginning, and he doesn't stand in truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources or his own nature. He is a liar, and he is the father of lies. In Revelation 12, the Bible says the, the devil, Satan, is the one who deceives the whole earth. In Genesis chapter 3, we see Adam and Eve being deceived by the devil. You see it in how he used the power of suggestion to suggest to Adam and Eve an alternative to what God has said. And essentially, this is how the devil operates. He is the prince of darkness. He can only effectively function where there is darkness. The word of God is light to our feet. So wherever the word is believed and acted on, there is no darkness. The devil ceases to have an ability to successfully carry out his plans in an environment of light. He can only operate in darkness. So what does he attempt to do? To turn people away from the light and turn them over to darkness, which spiritually speaking, darkness is ignorance to the word of God. Let me read this in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, 
and beginning with the 17th verse. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated. Catch this. Being alienated from the life of God. Why? Because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. So people are alienated from the power of God and the light of God's word because of ignorance and because of blindness. Remember we read in 2 Corinthians 4 and 4, the devil is the God of this age who blinds the minds of them which believe not. The devil cannot physically impose himself on you and overpower you physically. He's a spirit being. He can't even physically touch you in the first place. So how does he operate? By getting you to believe something that is not the truth. When you believe something, see, anybody can be lied to. You can be lied to. I can be lied to. When you believe the lie is when you are deceived. And when you are deceived, that's when the enemy puts blinders over your face so that you are spiritually blind. And in spiritual blindness, he can lead you into different pitfalls, lead you into different snares, lead you into different uh, obstacles that would entrap you. That's why the Bible says we are not children of darkness. We are children of light. And as children of light, we can avoid or navigate through the field of life, avoiding the snares, avoiding the pitfalls, and avoiding the traps that the enemy would use to catch us up. And I want to remind you today, you don't have to fall in one more trap of the devil. I know there's this whole line of Christian thinking that uh, sometimes we fall. You don't have to fall. Paul said in Ephesians 6 that we have the armor of God that if we put it on, we can stand. I want you to write that in the comment section. I can stand in the evil day. I can stand in the evil day. I don't have to fall. I don't have to fall. I don't have to trip up. I'm a child of light. I can locate, identify, and avoid every evil path. And I can keep to the path of the just that shines brighter and brighter to that perfect day. So how does the enemy work? Essentially, Satan subtly works to destroy men by suggesting them an alternative to the word of God. He brings forth a suggestion in an attempt to discredit God's eternity, uh, integrity. He brings forth a suggestion in an attempt to discredit God's integrity and turn people away from the word of God. And that's why Paul said we are not ignorant of the devil's subtility. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, Paul says, I fear as Satan beguiled Eve or deceived Eve from the simplicity of the gospel, so you too will be deceived from turning away from the simplicity of the word of God. So I did a broadcast last week, which I would encourage you after this to go and take a look at it on taking your thoughts captive to the obedience of the word of God and casting down strongholds. And I'm gonna, I go in that whole broadcast uh, different ways you can identify a God thought and a devil thought. Because that strategy that I bring forth in that broadcast is essentially going to help you to discern whether something is a lie. And as I said in the last broadcast, the Bible is a, is a truth detector and it's a lie detector. The Bible is truth, rather, not a truth detector. The Bible is truth, and it is a lie detector. 
That's why Paul says we should put on the belt of truth, the belt of truth which holds everything together. If you don't know the truth, you will fall for every lie that comes your way. You'll be a prime uh, victim, a prime victim for the enemy to do what he desires to do. And the devil is traditionally anti-God. So anything he says or anything he does will be anti-God. Anything the devil does is anti-God. Anything the devil says will be anti-God. As Jesus said, he can't stand in truth. There is no truth in him. He's the father of lies, the prince, and the creator of darkness. So that's the strategy of the devil. We see it in Matthew chapter 4. The devil comes to Jesus and says, if you are the son of God, the devil came to Adam and Eve in the garden. Did God really say? It's always, anytime you're thinking, uh, thoughts along those lines of questioning the word of God. There's a lot of preachers today that actually will, I don't know why, but they'll boldly, from their platforms, uh, tell people that it's okay to question God sometimes. That it's okay to question the word of God. That doubt is essentially an invitation to a stronger faith. That's hogwash. That's, that is a demonic doctrine of demons that the last days prophesies about. We don't entertain our doubts. We don't doubt God. If you want to doubt something, doubt your doubts. But don't, God, don't doubt God, for God is, un, God is reliable. If you want to doubt something, doubt your doubts, for they are unreliable. Don't doubt God. God is dependable and reliable and faithful through the ages. He comes to Adam and Eve. Did God really say? No, no, no. Eat of that fruit. You'll be like God. You know, I was thinking of it this morning as I was studying that scripture. When the devil suggested to Eve that she would be like God if she ate of that fruit, and she bought that lie, it was proof that she did not understand her identity in God already. Because God, if you study what we just read in verse 28, had already made Adam and Eve in the likeness of God. And the devil comes in and says, you'll be like God. Had Adam and Eve understood fully that they were already like God, that would have been the end to that temptation. And that's what is leading me to this point here on how Jesus dealt with the devil in spiritual warfare. When the devil came in and said, see, Adam and Eve failed the test of the tempter. But when Jesus was placed in the very same position, tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights, how did he conduct spiritual warfare? Adam and Eve did not know how to do this, but Jesus did. And Jesus provided for us an example that we can, uh, by succession, apply in our own lives. What did Jesus do when the enemy came in and said, if you are the son of God, trying to get Jesus to doubt his identity, to doubt his messianic ministry, what did Jesus reply with? It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. When the devil brings forth the lie, the way we counteract it is with truth. That's what the fight of faith is. Fight the good fight of faith. It means to remain in truth despite what our circumstances suggest, what we feel, what we see, or what we're tempted with. Our confession is, the word is working mightily in me. There's a song that David Ingalls always sings, and I love it. I play it often. My son loves it so much because it's almost like a jingle. And it goes, the word is working mightily in me. The word is working mightily in me. No matter what my circumstance, what I feel or see, the word is working mightily in me. I love that. The word is working mightily in me. 
You got to learn to sing that. The word is working mightily in me. No matter what my circumstance, what I feel or see, the word is working mightily in me. Hallelujah. Praise God. I'm going on American Idol next. I'm going to take out. I'm going to take out. I'm going I'm to make, uh, what's his name? The harsh judge. Simon Cowell. I'm going to have him flip off his seat when he hears that. Amen. But it, it, that, that, that's, that's essentially a verse of a song that perfectly, perfectly encapsulates spiritual warfare. It's fighting to remain in truth, despite what I feel or see. Since the devil knows the Bible, he's a master at playing the devil's advocate. He knows the constitution and the laws of the kingdom. So defeat, to defeat him, we have to assume a position where we have a comprehension of the word of God so that we can untangle the law, the lies, or the web of lies the devil would throw at us. When we have a comprehension of God's covenant word, his constitution, and his laws, it untangles the web of lies. And that's where spiritual freedom comes from. So what are some truths that we can dwell on now? Leads me to point four. I'm going through today six steps to winning spiritual warfare. I've gone through number one, understanding our origins in dominion. Number two is understanding our opponent, the devil. These are the six most important truths you need to understand about spiritual warfare. Number three, we need to recognize the strategy of the devil and that we can counter that strategy with truth. The Bible says that forever, O Lord, thy word, thy truth is settled in the heavens. If you want to be settled in any area of life, your health, your finances, your family, your relationships, you need to get the word of God in you and speak it out of your mouth. And then number four, redemption. Understanding our redemption repositions us above Satan and his forces. Going back to Ephesians 2, because we read before our position without Christ, dead in sin trespasses of sin and we were under the control of the son uh, spirit of disobedience we were children of wrath by 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 nature of the first adam and what he conducted we were all uh, under the course of the prince of the power of the air and there was no way out but god chapter 2 ephesians verse 4 but god being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us with even when we were dead in trespasses he made us alive together with christ by grace you have been saved and he raised us up together and he made us to sit together in heavenly places where in christ jesus i want you to write that in the comment section i am seated in christ i'm seated in christ Oh, brother, that doesn't make any sense because I'm here right now. I'm, I'm in Riponsini, Quebec. I'm in a studio right now. I, I'm physically not in heaven. Just like, listen to this. This is going to blow your mind away. Just like Jesus is seated in heaven, but by his spirit, he is alive in us. We are seated here on earth, but in our spirit, connected and joined together with his, we're in Christ Jesus. Let me say that again. Just like Jesus is physically in heaven, but by his spirit is in the church and in us today, we are physically on earth, but in the spirit we are in heaven, joined together with him. Hallelujah. That's why Jesus said in John 15, let me turn there, John chapter 15. I was reading this this morning and it, it, I almost took a lap around my kitchen, a victory lap. 
John 15, verse 1, I am the true vine. My father is a vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it might bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. That's important to note too in spiritual warfare. I'm not a dirty old sinner. I'm not some reprobate, reprobate, wretched, despised thing in the eyes of God. I'm clean. God sees me as clean. Stop calling yourself a sinner when you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The Bible makes it very clear. God told Peter, don't call unclean what I've called clean. Stop calling yourself things that the Bible doesn't call you by. Stop looking at yourself like some cheap, disgraced uh, object of shame and reproach. Don't say anything about yourself that the Bible doesn't say about you. The Bible says you're clean. But brother, I, I, I've got HIV in my system because of what I did in my past life. We'll keep saying that you'll keep having HIV in your system. Say I'm clean. And you'll find out when you start to talk about yourself as clean in your spirit by virtue of what the blood of Jesus did for you, then it'll actually clean out the blood, your actual blood. It'll actually give you a blood transfusion. As you speak, your, as, as you speak about yourself as being clean in the eyes of God, God will clean up your body. God will clean up your blood. God will clean up your life. I feel like that's a word of knowledge for some people. Some of you have developed something because of a past lifestyle of sin. And the enemy's just reminded you of what you've done. That's why, that's why. The famous, that's why, that's why you have this. That's why this is happening. That's why uh, your body's not going to ever work the same way it worked when you were young and before you did all those things. You got yourself in that ditch. Well, only one day when you get to heaven that God will... No, you're clean now. You're clean now. You're redeemed now. That's why the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord not wait to say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so now. I'm clean. Hallelujah. Write that in the comment section. I'm clean. I'm clean. What God has called clean, no longer call common or unclean. Verse 4, abide in me and I in you. Hallelujah. That's the mystery of the faith. Jesus abides in me. And I abide in Jesus. Imagine how clean the blood of Jesus made you to be. That God decided not just to live around you or allow you sometimes to just approach him in fear and timidity. Imagine how clean you have to be. That the blood of Jesus has put you in a position where you're not just near God, you're in him and he's in you. Imagine how clean the blood of Jesus made you to be that he decided to make you his holy habitation, God's dwelling place on the earth. He said, you know, if I walked into a house and that house was dirty and it had all kinds of scum and stains on the couches, I, would, I don't want to live here. I don't really want to live here. This is, I don't want to sit down here. I might visit. I might do a house visit if I have to pray for someone, but I really would never want to live in this situation. It's a very dirty place. Rats coming around all the floor. You got like worms coming out of the ceilings. Ah, I'll come and visit. I'll pray for you, but I don't want to live here. It's not an environment that, I, that I'd like to live in. Well, that's how we used to be. And that's why God couldn't dwell in us in that Old Testament, Old Covenant way of doing things. But by the New Covenant, a new and living way, the Bible says, He sprinkled us clean by the blood of Jesus. And as a result, He has chosen us as his temple, hallelujah. Not a temple made with human hands, but a body he has prepared. The body of Christ. God dwells in me. And listen to this. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, neither can you, 
unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them in the fire and they are burned. You know what that shows you? Your dominion is tied to your abiding in him. The moment you disconnect from God, your dominion ceases to function. It's like I gave the analogy as I was teaching. I love to preach to my wife. You know, she gets it first and then you get it. But I was telling my wife, I said, imagine you had two grand pianos, but one of them was electric. The grand piano that was not electric, but um, is an acoustic piano, you can play that thing and it doesn't need any type of um, outside power. You can play it whether the lights are on or the lights are out, whether there's a power outage or not, that piano is going to play because it's not dependent upon an outside source of energy. But the electric piano is dependent upon a current of electricity. It, it needs to be connected, it needs to be branched in or else it will cease to function. God is the acoustic grand, grand slam piano. That thing is going to function. God will function whether you're in Him or not. God is God. God is powerful whether you believe in Him or not. God is God. God will always be God. He'll rule and reign forever. But we are the, acoustic, uh, we are the electric grand piano. We have to be connected to His power if we're going to play a tune. And if you don't Connect to the power, you won't play the tune. If we're not connected to the source of power, then our dominion will not flow as it ought to flow. That's why Jesus is constantly saying, abide in me and my power will abide in you and you'll bring forth the fruit of dominion. If anyone does not abide in me, he's a, a branch cast away and he withers up. The moment you disconnect, everything that is of God in your life begins to wither up and corrode and come to nothing. Verse 7 says, if you abide in me, and then Jesus goes further into allowing us to see what it means, what it truly means to abide in him. Because a lot of people say, well, I'm trying to abide in Him. How do I do that? I'm trying to abide in Him. How do I do that? What does it mean to abide in Him? If you abide in me and my word abides in you. That's how you get yourself in Him and Him in you. By the word of God. I have hidden thy word in my heart that I would not sin against you. For by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So when you understand our abiding in Him, our grafting into Christ, you realize that redemption, as we read in Ephesians 2 with conjunction with John chapter 15, redemption has repositioned you to be in Christ, seated in a place of authority, of power, and of dominion where the devil becomes a non-issue to you. Redemption reveals and imparts to you the royal status of God. You are a royal priesthood. Hallelujah. These are the truths that if you engage in spiritual warfare, you need to constantly keep at the, fr the front and the back of your mind. you got to constantly be meditating on these things. Because if you forget these things, you're going to carry the disposition of a weakened, intimidated person. You're going to carry the disposition of one who is fearful like the disciples were in the boat. And they didn't know what to do. But when you understand what redemption does, it seats you in Christ. It translates you from the power of darkness into the power of God. It makes you a new creation in Christ Jesus. It causes you to be born from above. And finally, it reveals your royal status in God. Then you're in a position now to fight. You're in a position now to not just fight, but win. Number five. 
We're going to get practical now. What are the weapons of our warfare? I'm going to blow through them quickly for the sake of time, but if you'll turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul reveals that though we are in a war, we're not without weaponry. We're not left to fend for ourselves. God didn't give you a spiritual opponent without giving you spiritual weapons to give you spiritual victory over that opponent. God's not stupid. Here's a revelation for some people today. God is not stupid. God did not acknowledge that there is a spiritual enemy and then hinder or withhold spiritual armory and weaponry to gain victory over that spiritual enemy. Isaiah 14 doesn't say that we're going to stand before the devil one day and say, oh my God, he's so big. I can't believe, God, you put us in the ring with that. What did you expect for us to do? Look at those big biceps. My goodness, no wonder my kid is sick. No wonder my life was in shambles. No wonder the, my life went from uh, pretty good to horrible. And it was a vicious cycle of frustration and stagnation. Oh, my God. How could you have ever done this to me, Jesus? This was twisted. This was sadistic. Was I just your hamster in this little experiment of yours? That's not what we're going to say. The Bible says we're actually going to look at the devil and say, is this the one? Is this the one that made the cities into a wilderness? Is this the one that caused problems for my family? Is this the one that caused me to be poor? Is this the one that that spirit of poverty tried to keep me out of God's blessing? Is this the one that made that person sick and killed them prematurely? I wish I had known then I would have dealt with him differently. So God's not dumb. He said... Yes, there's a spiritual enemy. Let's read it. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So what are, and I've written down here, five weapons that the Bible gives us as believers to enforce victory of what Jesus already paid for us to have, but to enforce that victory in any situation that you might be facing, whether it be physical, in your body, a sickness, disease, whether it be a financial thing, whether it be an emotional thing, perhaps it's a depression, anxiety, or something mental that you're seeking to overcome. Whatever it is you're desiring to overcome, here are some of the weapons Jesus gave us to overcome. Revelation 12, number one, is the blood of Jesus. They overcame him by the blood of of the lamb the blood of jesus is god's last card in dealing with the devil what do i mean by that if nothing else works the blood of jesus always works hallelujah when you read exodus and the deliverance of the israelites out of egypt remember nine plagues god threw at egypt and pharaoh stiffened his neck on all nine plagues but then when the blood of the lamb was shed and put over the doors and the lintels of the Israeli homes and the death angel came out and struck every firstborn of all of Egypt but passed over the blood, hallelujah. The devil couldn't come into the house of anyone that had the blood. The blood gave the Israelites victory over the destroyer that night and allowed them that Passover lamb sequence that they carried out since then and over those 40 years, that it, it allowed them it allowed them to get into the promised land. Got them out of Egypt and got them into the promised land. It caused them to overcome. The Bible says, 
that the blood is the stronghold of the believer. Zechariah chapter 10. Return ye to the stronghold of the blood. The blood is the stronghold. The blood is the refuge for the believer. That no matter what the enemy throws your way, the blood offers a thick, impenetrable layer of protection. Psalm 91. He that dwells under the shelter of the Most High will abide under the protection of the of the Almighty, of the blood of God, of the blood of Jesus. I will say of my God, He's my fortress, He's my refuge, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will deliver me from the snare of the fowler and the perilous pestilence. I will not be afraid. Because I'm under the blood, I will not be afraid of the power of darkness. I will not be afraid of the pestilence that stalks in darkness. Stalks in darkness. I will not be afraid of the destruction that lays waste at noon or the terror of night. A thousand can fall to my side, 10,000 to my right hand. But as I plead the blood over my home, over my children, over my business, these things will never come near me. Hallelujah. Because the blood prevails against the enemy every single time. Number two, weapon, is the weapon of the name of Jesus. The Bible says in Philippians 2 that Jesus received a name that is above every other name. And at the mention of the name of Jesus, every knee has to bow. Every tongue must confess Jesus is Lord. It doesn't matter what de whatever devil has knocked on your door. It doesn't matter if it's a demon of infirmity and sickness, if it's a demon of, uh, of, of Whatever you want to call it. I don't even know what they're calling demons these days. Whatever demon it is. Doesn't matter. I know there's a whole camp of believers that it's all about naming demons. Naming demons. Identifying demons. Let me tell you something. I don't have to identify a demon's name to get it to subject itself to the name above all names. I know the name that carries power over every demon. I don't care if it's Leviathan or Belial or Lucifer himself. I have the name of Jesus on my tongue. And when I speak it in faith, the Bible says, whatever you demand in my name, I'll enforce it with my power from heaven. Remember, Jesus, when the disciples came back to Jesus, they said, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Jesus said, don't rejoice that, you're, that the demons are subject to you. Rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Because my name is written in heaven, I've been given the right to use the name that is above all other names, that at the mention of that name, every tongue, every demon, every obstacle, every hindering spirit, every power, every principality, and every other name has to bow out. The Bible says in Peter and John, Acts chapter 3, when they were going to the hour of prayer, there was a man who was lame, paralyzed, they said, we don't have silver and gold to help you. There's not enough money that's going to lift you out of that state of paralysis. But I do have something. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. If the name of Jesus can cure physical paralysis, don't you think the name of Jesus can heal your paralyzed spiritual walk today? Don't you think the name of Jesus can take you out of anything that the enemy is trying to paralyze you with in your life? Paralyzing fear. Don't you think the name of Jesus can cripple that paralyzing spirit of fear so that it leaves your address and no longer harasses you from this day onward? Yeah, the name of Jesus causes fear to bow out. Number three weapon is the word of God. Jesus used the word of God to defeat the enemy. You don't need more than three scriptures to defeat any enemy in life. I'm making it that simple. I know there's a lot of things they call spiritual warfare. 
blow a shofar, wave a flag, you know, I don't know what else they do. Do interpretive dancing. Beat a drum. I don't know what they're doing. There's a lot of stuff they call spiritual warfare. They take someone in the back room and they fling oil on them for 17 hours and douse them with holy water. This is from the Sea of Galilee, brother. It's not the Sea of Galilee that's anointed. It's the one who walked on the Sea of Galilee that's anointed. And that one lives in me. Christ lives in me, the hope of glory. And Jesus showed us the word. Remember I said it, John 15, 7. Whoever abides in me and my word abides in him. The way we abide in him is getting his word on the inside of us. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when the word abundantly is poured into your heart, it's going to abundantly come out of your mouth. That's why Jesus was the word made flesh. And when the devil came to harass, what was, Jesus was the word. So the word just came out. Man, my prayer is that you would be so word consumed that when something hits you, word comes out. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When something hits you, word comes out. Not complaints, not opinions, not I wish it wasn't like that. No, word comes out. It's like when you take a sponge and you squeeze it, water comes out. The Bible says we are washed with the water of the word. The next time you get squeezed, the word is going to come out. And the word never fails. Whenever it comes out, it always produces that for which it was sent out to accomplish. Just speak the word, the centurion said, and my servant will be made well. Number four, weapon of our warfare in conducting. These are actual weapons of spiritual warfare. And I'm not going to sell you at the end of this broadcast for your best gift of $49.95, which you can pay in three equal installments. I'm going to send you this oil that's made with the exact spices from Israel. It's like those guys in malls. Take this cream. It's from Israel. It's from Israel. Oh, my gosh. You got bottles of this back there? It's like people think just because it's from Israel that it's like spiritual. You have a lot of guys on Christian TV, they're selling things because it's from, that, that's not doing anything. This is a chip. This little piece of stone is actually from the temple. Hmm? From the first, uh, the second temple that they rebuilt in Zerubbabel's day. I was in Israel and I was, without any of the rabbis watching, scraping some of it down and I brought it back. If you'll just put a bit of this dust on your forehead before you go to bed every night, you'll actually get rid of nightmares because God, God's not in that temple. The Holy of Holies, the Bible says that the veil was rent from top to bottom and the Spirit of God was unleashed in Acts chapter 2 upon His church. God doesn't dwell in a building. He's not looking to occupy real estate. He dwells in me. He dwells in you. This isn't a gimmick. Which leads me to number four, the anointing of the Holy Spirit is a spiritual weapon. Isaiah 10, 27, he'll lift up the heavy burden. The anointing lifts up the heavy burden and destroys every yoke of captivity. Luke chapter 5, when Jesus was teaching and preaching, the power, the anointing of the Lord was present there to heal people. The anointing of the Spirit of God, Isaiah 61 says, can get anyone in captivity into freedom. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me for what? He has anointed me to proclaim release to the captives. The opening of prison doors to them that are bound. To set free them that are bruised and oppressed. To declare the favorable year of the Lord. Hallelujah. The anointing of God is a terrorizer to the devils that may be afflicting your life today. The anointing of God. 
literally puts pressure on the devil to back him out of your home and out of your situation. There's no, show me the devil that can withstand the power of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Show me the devil, show me the sickness that can withstand the fire of God by his spirit going through your body. Show me the devil that was able to withstand the anointing as Jesus was going about doing good, anointing of the Holy Ghost and power, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Well, that same anointing is not a lesser than anointing today. He's not faded in power. It's the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. If the anointing can raise the dead, then what are you complaining about? If the anointing can raise the dead, then certainly it can, it can reverse the irreversible situations that you might find yourself in today. Number five, and I finish with this. Weapons of our warfare. The weapon of praise. Hallelujah. Paul and Silas were in the prison at the midnight hour. They could have complained. They could have talked about, you know, I've served God my entire life and you know, I've been through hardships. Never did I think I would get here. You know, it really doesn't pay to serve God. You know, Silas, if I get out of this, I'm never going to go back to church. I've been church hurt. <laughs> I've been church hurt. I'm offended. Pastor didn't say hi to me in the office the other day when I walked through. He looked at everyone else in the eyes. He didn't, he didn't look at me. When Pastor was talking about something on giving an example on Sunday morning. He gave, he gave out some names from five people in the front row and I was the sixth one and he skipped right over me. He didn't even say, he didn't even say Gabriel. He just said angel and Raph and he, he missed Gabriel. I'm church hurt. I'm never going back there. Paul and Silas didn't get church hurt and if anyone had the opportunity to get church hurt, it was him. What did Paul and Silas do? The Bible says they lifted up hands, hallelujah, without wrath or doubting and they began to sing praises loud and high. So loud were they. Because praise, worship can be silent. Worship can be soft. Prayer can be silent. You can speak under your breath. Hannah did. She spoke under her breath. But praise, biblically, has to have a loud voice tied to it. Psalm 150. Praise ye the Lord. With loud cymbals and with stringed instruments of 12 strings, let everything that has breath praise ye the Lord. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him for his mighty power. Yea, praise the Lord. Psalm 149 says, Let the high praise of God be on their mouth and a sharp double-edged sword in their hand. When you praise God, you're equipping yourself with a double-edged sword that you can use in spiritual warfare to strike down every opposition of your life and destiny. So what happened to Paul and Silas. They praised God. They decided to light up in praise. And the scripture says at midnight, there was a great earthquake. You know what that earthquake was? That earthquake was Psalm 114 coming to pass. Psalm 114 says, What aileth thee, O mountains, that you skipped like rams? And O little hills that you skip like little lambs, tremble thou, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob. When God steps into a place, the earth trembles. Isaiah 65 says that the heavens gave rain at the presence of the Lord. Sinai itself was moved at the presence of the God of Jacob. Hallelujah! When you praise God, 
God steps in. He don't send an angel. He himself steps into that situation. And when God steps in, there's an earthquake that shatters every shackle and chain. It tears down every prison cell. It opens every prison door. And you come out of bondage and into the victory of the children of God. Hallelujah. I prophesy in the name of Jesus. The enemy's tried his best, but you're still standing, which proves that his best was not enough. As you'll switch on the switch of praise today, whatever that was sent to wipe you out, whatever chains that have bound you, whatever prison cell has kept you confined, you've been unable to get out of it, unable to break free from it, whatever oppression of the devil that has weighed you down, all those things, God will lift off your life today in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. That sickness, you know you can praise your way into health. Oh, hallelujah. I feel a dance coming on. You can praise your way into health. I have proof of it. There was a lady in Chateauguay, Quebec, who had uh, fibromyalgia. Early onset fibromyalgia. Was in pain. Couldn't walk for more than 10 minutes without having to sit, sit down. In total pain. For many years, actually. And she came into a service where I was preaching on the power of praise. And I... I challenged everyone there, whether you feel like it or not, give God your highest praise. Dance a dance before God. Do like David. I don't care if I look more undignified than this. I'm going to dance my best dance. I'm going to shout my best shout. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let it rip for God. Because no man was able to help me when I was at my lowest, but I know God can. This poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and delivered him from all his distress and all his trouble. So I gave them the challenge. And this lady in the back began to just dance groovy and she started to dance and jump and all of a sudden something snapped off her body and she was immediately made straight two days later she came up to testify in those service there was a week-long service we actually extended it for 14 nights and in one of those services she came and testified i used to have to take a seat we'd go to uh, to the mall my daughter uh, my granddaughter and i and i'd have to take a seat after about 15 20 minutes of walking she said i walked for three hours without having to take a seat it was my granddaughter who said granny can we please stop now i'm getting tired my back's giving up on me hallelujah god can do something for you as you praise him where the strength of your youth comes back whereas you were when you were 20 as you were when you were 30 begins your port uh, begins to become your portion today in the mighty name of Jesus Christ hallelujah switch on the weapon of praise God is invited into your situation through your praise since praise is the highest expression of faith and faith invites God on the scene and the Bible says when God arises all his enemies are scattered what what, the Bible says in his presence is fullness of joy. What depression can stand his presence? What enemy can stand his presence? None. None. It's as easy as that. I can go on with testimony after testimony of how we, we've, my wife and I, we've danced our way into breakthrough. We've laughed our way into miracles. When the enemy doesn't want you to laugh, laugh twice as much. When the enemy doesn't want you to dance, dance twice as hard. When the enemy doesn't want you to sing, sing until the neighbors complain. Hallelujah. Whatever the enemy doesn't want you to do, do it twice and you'll know you win the will of God and you'll come over on the, on the winning side. Hallelujah. Finishing with this, how to win spiritual warfare. Now here's the practical way, outside of praise, how to exercise your authority. Mark eleven twenty three. 23. If you have a mountain... If you will say to the mountain, be uprooted, cast into the midst of the sea, 
and not doubt in your heart, but believe what you say will come to pass. You will have what you say. You got to use your mouth. Get God's word. God's word in your heart will do you no good. God's word has to be first in your heart and then released out of your mouth. You got to speak it. The dominion of light over darkness is voice activated. Spiritual warfare is one in your confession. You can never rise beyond your level of confession. You'll never win a victory. Or you'll never go where your mouth hasn't gone first. Hallelujah. You'll never go where your mouth hasn't gone first. You can't have what you haven't first spoken from God's word. That's how you write your ticket with God. That's how you put the devil on the run. Submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. If, you're, if he's not fleeing, you're not resisting properly. The way you resist is not to stay quiet. Only one person was called to stay quiet while he was beat down and bruised. And that was Jesus. He was, laid, uh, he was led as a sheep was silent before its shearers. He did not open his mouth. Jesus couldn't open his mouth. Remember, every time he did, he said, I am. They'd fall over. <laughs> He had to stop talking or else they would have never got to the cross. He had to stop talking. But Jesus closed his mouth so we can open ours. Hallelujah. Jesus closed his mouth so we can open ours. Stop whining about the mountain. Stop complaining about the warfare. You've already been given everything that is necessary to win. Now open your mouth and use the sword of the Spirit to go to war and win. And I prophesy you will win in Jesus' mighty name. The devil's tried his best, but his best is not enough. Hallelujah. Let me pray for you right now. Modal, Tabitha, Sharon, James, Pop-Tart, uh, Debbie, Yelly, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, whatever the devil's done against you and your family, whatever attack has risen up to try and take you out, to try and uh, zap you of strength, to run in Jesus' mighty name. The shield of faith quenches that fiery dart right now. No weapon formed against you is going to prosper. In righteousness, you shall be established. You will be far from terror. You will be far from oppression, for it will not come near you. In Jesus' mighty name, we Take out the wheels from Pharaoh's chariot. Though the Red Sea opened for you, every one of your enemies that's trying to chase you down from your past life, every one of your opponents that's trying to bring you back into the first Adam, in Jesus' mighty name, like the sea swallowed up Egypt and the Pharaoh and his army, in the name of Jesus, the power of God swallows up and destroys every adversary of your soul and your destiny. You're not going to lose. You're not going to fail. He that began a good work in you is going to bring it to completion, whether the devil likes it or not, in Jesus' mighty name. The Bible says, whatever is born of God has overcome the world. You are an overcomer. And we overcame. I finish with this. We overcame by the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony, having not loved our life even unto death. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Why don't you give God a mighty shout of hallelujah. Yeah, put your hands together in studio and give God a shout of triumph. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I feel the Spirit of God moving so strong right now. I'm telling you, the devil's not as strong as you give it to him. When you see yourself as the superior being, 
you begin your, your path to perpetual victory. Essentially, the Christian walk is plummeting hell and populating heaven. As like a bulldozer, we just move on. And whatever gets in our way gets flattened. Praise God. If you're watching right now, all of this is not applicable to you until you give your life to Jesus Christ. Has there ever been a time in your life where you made the decision? Because that's what it is. It's a choice. Heaven is a choice. Hell is a choice. God doesn't choose who goes anywhere. You choose. I've set life and death before you, heaven and earth. Oh, that you would choose life, blessing and cursing. Oh, that you would choose blessing that both you and your descendants might live. If you've never done that before, then you don't have peace with God. Even if you think you feel like you do, you don't have peace with God. It's a false sense of peace. It's deception. Only those who have received Christ are justified by faith and have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The good news is, is it's very easy to receive Jesus today. You don't have to go through seven steps, eight steps, three ways to a cleaner. You come and, you know, don't come until you've got everything. No, come as you are. Come as you are. It's very simple. You need to come and do three things. You need to admit that you've sinned and you need God's grace. You need to be, believe in the gospel. What's the gospel? That God loves you and that he demonstrated that love when he sent Jesus to take your sin in himself. You know that weird feeling you have in this world where just nothing seems right? That's called sin. You know that desire to do right, but you're not able to do it? That's called the nature of sin. And motivational speaking and leadership gurus and books will not help you with any of that. The power of sin can only be overcome by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you're watching me right now, and you've never heard this before, let me be the first to tell you, God loves you. And he sent Jesus to shed his blood on that cross so that the power and nature and curse of sin can be broken over your life and that you can receive God's blessing and God's salvation and God's redemption. He don't want you to go to hell. He wants you to go to heaven. That's why he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you in heaven that where I am, you can be received unto me. Then see, here's how it applies to you. You need to commit and confess your life, or you need to commit your life to Jesus and confess him as Lord of your life. If you've never done that, if everyone's watching right now, you've never done that, you'd like to do that now, pray this with me. If you have done that, but you've let the fire go out, you need to rededicate your life to Jesus Christ today. Pray this with me. Both of those groups should be praying with me right now. This is not a, a, a this isn't a, a, an opportune, there's not gonna be a more opportune time is what I'm trying to say. This is the most opportune time. Today's the day of salvation. Now is the time to be saved. Pray this with me. Say this out loud. Say this out of your mouth. Wherever you are, if you're in the office at work, if you're in your bathroom, if you're in your shower, if you're in your car right now, say that. don't close your eyes and lift your hands, but you can say this out loud. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I believe you raised Jesus from the dead. I confess Jesus is Lord of my life. Come live in my heart. I receive you. I renounce darkness. I renounce Satan. I repent of sin. Fill me with your spirit. Where I was weak, make me strong. Forgive me of all sin. I thank you 
that I have a clean slate. My sin is forgiven. My name is written in heaven. I'm never turning back. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, I would love for you to go to my website. The slide's going to come up on the screen. Salvationnow.ca. No slash. Salvationnow.ca. The first link that pops up is I just got saved. Click that link. Fill out the information. I want to get something to you free of charge as a way of saying welcome to the family of God. And uh, I want to I help you get started in this new journey. Going to send you a Bible, some reading material. It's going to really help you. It's a way of saying welcome to God's family. There's no charge for this. There's no monetary exchange. This is just me. I'm not keeping your information so we can drill you now with demands for money. I'm never going to send you any type of demand for money, any type of request for money. Never. This is me trying to get you a gift into your hands. Salvationnow.ca. I just got saved. Click it. Fill out the link. Fill out the form. And... Uh, Get that to me. Amen. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.